Hi, and welcome to the podcast You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Amanda Buckley. We sat in a fancy hotel foyer and discussed motherhood, body positivity, economics, and a number of choices. She is one of the most positive people I know, and we also spoke a little bit about postnatal depression, uh, which I, I think it was a really fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. Uh, if you are in Melbourne at the moment, there are two more weeks, two and a half more weeks of the festival where I will be doing Mythos every night of the of the festival, other than two nights where I'm supporting Nora Jones on tour on the 15th in Sydney and on the 17th in Hobart. Um other than that, I will be every night 9.45 at the Town Hall, except Monday nights 8.30, Sunday nights 8.45. Uh, you can look it up on the internet. Also, the trilogy is still available. It's been nominated for Australian Podcast uh, Award, which is cool uh, and, and very nice. I should also take this time uh, to thank my patrons. You are incredible. It, it is just a constant joy and delight and help to me to have your your support, uh, both emotional and financial, obviously, but on the emotional side, just the messages and emails and and positive feedback I get. The more I am in this industry, the more I am astonished by how little horrible trolling I get. And it's a difficult thing to pin down. I don't know why I am not the target of more hatred. Um, I think maybe it's that I, I'm not easy to pin as a proxy for a group of people, but uh, whatever it is, I'm, I'm so grateful for the fact that you, uh, listeners, supporters, Patreon supporters, people who send me emails, people who engage with my work, seem to be just disproportionately bloody lovely. So thank you. Uh, thank you for that. I, uh, I appreciate it every day that I don't spend filled with annoyance or rage or the kind of resentment I see that building in a lot of my friends who do good work and get real unpleasantness back. So thank you. Uh, if you are an Audible subscriber, this is not an advertisement for Audible. I don't do advertisements on this platform, part of the reason why Patreon is so important. Um, if you are an Audible subscriber, you get the Audible original series. There are three there that I have done, uh, documentaries, one on habit change, one on wellness, and one on meditation. They're still available. Trilogy is still available. The Resistance is still available on my website shop. And I can't think of other things that are out there. I'm sure there are other things. Ethos is coming. I've just seen the edit and, of course, the horrifying process of looking at your own face, saying jokes that you could have done better. But uh, that is coming together and will soon be available in some format that I will let you know about. Enough rambling from me. That's three minutes of, of blithering. Uh, I will let you launch into listening to the rest of this conversation or the conversation that I had with Amanda Buckley in Melbourne. You're having tea with Alice. I'll see you next week. So who are you and what are you drinking? My name is Amanda Buckley and I am drinking a peppermint tea. <laughs> I mean, it's a good, it's a very good looking peppermint tea. I know, I'm really excited. It's actually leaf, proper leaf tea. We are in the lobby of a fancy hotel, so you might hear sort of ambient string music and wankers just <laughs> it's the height of opulence it Alice is. and it's, I wouldn't want it any other way <laughs> it's it's marble delight um what what have you been wrestling with recently oh 
jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who are you jealous of and why? Well, I was just discussing with this uh, before the uh, we press record, but um, I'm wrestling with my own inner demons of being a supportive partner without being jealous of missing out. And, yeah, that's where I'm living at the moment. So. I mean, there's a... You do improv, yes. improv comedy, Improviser. which at its worst is the worst thing you can ever watch. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> and at its best is sort of transcendentally good. Yeah, it can be magic. You uh, also, this is a sort of a sideline, I've seen you save scenes by being in the audience and laughing. <laughs> My weapon of yeah, choice. Your weapon of choice is... So your partner also does improv. Yes, my partner is an actor and an improviser. And um, he, over the past kind of eight years, we've struck a really great balance of being able to support each other. We have a son who's uh, almost eight. And so we've, we, we have to have time on, time off, time on, time off to let the other person shine. Yeah. And he has been remarkable at just allowing me to find a place. Uh, how do I do this? How do I be a performer and a mother mm. and a partner? Um, and he's really allowed me the space to find that out. Mm. And it's my turn to support him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> because you inherently, the things that you see happening to them, um, and he's, he's having a really great start to the year, and it's long overdue and well-deserved, and I could not be prouder of him. But, of course, the light I'm shining of, on him, I immediately feel like I'm cast into darkness and what am I going to do next and when it's my turn what am I going to have ready to go um yeah it's a conflict I'd like to think of myself as being uh much bigger and better than this but I'm uh it's the comedy festival it just it's that fear of missing out it's the you know comedy festival is particularly like that though yes. because it's sort of the one time in the year where the world in general or the city that you're in suddenly gives as much value to the thing you've always valued. Yes. Like, where are you in August? All of this joy and laughter for something silly, like making something up on the spot. Where are you in August? Yeah. Oh, you're all here right now and I can't be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's an amazing thing because in, in Melbourne, but in particularly in Edinburgh, the, the whole economy of life changes. What, what's important changes, what people value changes, and all of a sudden it feels, feels super right. Yeah. Who was it? The um, Marie Cardi wrote that um, great article about uh, for that one month of the year, but it's actually several months depending on what city you're in if you travel around. But you know the, that person who's the comedian who's normally shunned by society just for that one week, that one month is a celebrity. You know, just wanted after like never before because they do this amazing thing. They make yeah. people feel so good. Um, I have a theory about most negative qualities and that it's, I think, that for the most part, if somebody has a, a negative quality, a characteristic that grates on other people around them, it's usually inextricably attached to something that they like about themselves, which is why they don't just get rid of it if they have a modicum of self-awareness, right? Yeah. So, for example, I have a friend who is kind of ruthless and brutal but is also the most honest and honourable person you'll ever know. Yes. But just cannot compromise. Yeah. Because the thing that they value about themselves is this truthfulness and honour, but it but makes them impossible yeah. 
to deal with in the real world because... Oh, that's actually... I, they're the things that I admire in someone, that brutal honesty. Mm. Because I've, I, And yes, that can make people difficult to deal with. But I also think once you accept that that is honesty, yeah. um, I think it then in turn makes them easier to deal with because there's no second guessing. There's no what do they mean by that. They'll tell you. And if you can handle it, which is usually more of a light on ourselves as to what we feel like oh I could never do that I'd be worried people wouldn't like me but yeah you You find out that that's the thing I have one friend who is incredibly good at self-promotion they're very pushy and I love hanging out with her because I'm like oh I could be so much more pushy and still be way behind where you are in levels of pushiness and she's pushy to the point where sometimes it will alienate people it works against her interests and I'm like I could still get 80% of the way there and still be a totally reasonable human being <laughs> I find that super inspiring yeah it's a funny it's a funny old thing I've, I've, I self-reflect quite a bit actually because um, uh, some of the some of the transitions I've gone through over the last couple of years so Alice and I have known each other for easily 15 plus years yeah this cup of tea is at least six years overdue yes. I think um, uh, and part of my big thing is that I moved cities and ha- uh, took maternity leave yeah. and then had to, you know, but uh, not start from the beginning because I didn't. I didn't start from the beginning. People here knew me and they knew that I was an improviser and I did come with all my um, experience and, and people were really good at acknowledging that. But you just can't do the same things with a baby. Like there's all of that, you know, I now need a month off to recover. You can't just do the self-promotion thing. You can't just say, cast me, cast me, cast me, turn up, be social. All of those things that make improv and the community of improv really strong. Um, So I feel like I'm finally back to where I was before I fell pregnant um, in terms of career and what I'm willing to do. But that also means I'm much older, which has also shone... I'm just shining lights, left, right and centre, has shined a light on also what do I want because the... The goals have changed. I don't want the same thing that I wanted. So I'm in that so adjusting and... Be specific. What do you, do you want that you've now noticed you don't want? I think I used to look at, say, improv as the um, jump start to something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a trained singer and I, uh, I've always seen myself as being in cabarets and things like that. And I really haven't done much cabaret work. Although in my head, I'm always writing a show, this one-woman show. Um, I'll keep you posted. when mm-hmm. it's, I'll get you to plug it when it comes out. Um, but now I think because I have to be pickier about what I do and how I do it, I know I am a career improviser now. Like it's not a stepping stone. It is the thing yeah. that I always come back to and want to do and want to be a part of. So instead of wanting people to know who I am, I just want to be not working a horrible job. I want to just be somehow facilitating a life through improv and, you know... The does that feel like settling or does it feel like revealed preference? Revealed preference. I, I think I thought it was... I think that's why I was fighting. It felt like settling for a long time. Mm. Oh, I guess I'll just be an improviser then. But it's actually a hard thing to settle for because it's not easy. No. It's still not looked upon as the... It, it, most other people would look at it as the stepping stone to other skills. So I think I'm now revealing in myself, I don't want to do anything else except this very stupid thing. Well, it's a, it, it's a fascinating art form, I guess, because it, it is stu- you are building skills 
as with a sport. You're getting your fitness up, you're getting your technique up, but it only exists in the room on the night. You start fresh every time, even yeah. though your skills may be better and you may have more confidence that it will be good every time. Yeah. You start afresh every time. It doesn't translate well to film. No, so at it's, all. It's, it's not really terrible. scalable. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't think it really ever translates to the recorded. You, I, I've never, I don't like to see myself. Things that I knew were great on the night, I don't ever need to see again because it's, if someone recorded it, it still would lose it would the lose thing. Them. It's one of the reasons why I decided to do my trilogy as audio rather yeah. than film. I have I filmed one of them, the middle one, but it's a very uh, something about the flat screen that flattens out the experience. Yeah. Because so much of the experience for the audience of being in comedy is being in the room, and that there's a there's a sort of a, a chemistry of being in the crowd that you just can't. It's like watching dancing rather than dancing. Yeah. It doesn't feel the same. If you watch a dance club, it looks horrendous. But if you're in a dance <laughs> <It does>. club... <laughs> but it feels amazing. It feels yeah, amazing. If you're, if, you're, if you're part of it with people you trust, with music you like, yeah. obviously. There are plenty of dance clubs that are like being in a nightmare. Um, <laughs> I take dance classes with um, some of my mum friends. Oh, amazing. And... It's the best. We uh, we do a class called Booty Fit and it's <laughs> a, just a group of 40-plus-year-old women trying to dance alongside this incredibly sexy teacher who is amazing and she's not like judgmental or, you know, you know it's not a you have to be skilled up to be in a part of it. It's really wonderful and body, body positive and all of those things but it's way too sexy we just yeah. giggle the whole time it's the sexiest dancing I've ever been a part of <laughs> I've been wrestling with body positivity recently oh really yeah the whole movement I think I always mistrust a movement when it looks a lot like capitalism in disguise you're so smart <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean when it's like no you're not too fat to buy mascara like that Thing. I want fat lashes. So. That, that it just feels so – like it's good on one hand. It's good. Part of it is just natural. The internet has given the space to more voices and, and society in general has realised how one note things like fashion and, yeah. and, and things you saw on screen were. I, I occasionally watch Mock the Week um, yeah. because eventually I'm going to get on that bloody show. Um, I watch clips of Mock the Week and if you go back to, say, before 2012 – you get struck by how it is just all white men. Yeah. And at the time, that wouldn't have struck me. It would have no, just... No, because it, we you accepted have things. Even yeah. noticed. Yeah. So that part of the body positivity movement I'm all for, seeing more different kinds of bodies, seeing more different kinds of beautifulness and, yeah. and ugliness and difference. But A, I mistrust beauty... <laughs> this has been the wrestle of your life, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like the idea of, of beauty is, is fine... But also, rather than – it feels like attacking the wrong target rather than saying everybody is beautiful. Yeah, it's still, why not it's, say why does anyone need to be beautiful? Yeah. Why is that important? It's still an aesthetic, isn't it? It's yeah. still a shallow, hollow uh, face value thing. Yeah. I, I feel very uncomfortable with that whole – thing and then also the advertising element of it that they've just realized fat people have a disposable income <laughs> like we're missing a mo- yeah we're missing money here yeah. yeah but at the same time if it if it if it goes from somebody who you know felt self-loathing every time they ate dinner to somebody feeling 
yum, I get to eat my dinner, I love my body. Like, that's a yeah. good thing. You open cans of worms. I think that's what you do. Yes, I love a can of worms. Yeah. I don't feel guilty about eating it. No, not <laughs> yeah. at all. I, I agree completely. And in terms of anything that then becomes um, bigger than the message, like, yeah, like you said, it, it's, there's an element of um, having been the big girl and the now average girl, it, it, I, I tend to still not be able to switch off that part of me that thinks... Um, I'm still just a fat girl hiding, you know. And so body positive stuff is aimed at me. Yeah. Just and, and it's it aimed feels at, personal. Yeah, it's aimed at a 43-year-old woman who's had a baby who used to be obese and now is just trying to accept that where I am. Yeah. So it's, it's weird because it, it does – I respond to marketing. I respond to, you know, those things. Well, they're, they're I, made to be responded to. That's and I didn't even exist. think of it that way. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Another light, Sean. <laughs> I mean, this is an interesting thing. You uh, lost a huge amount of weight just before you had your kid. Yeah, I did. Which is, you know, that's got to be a roller coaster. It really is. <laughs> all of a sudden, getting bigger is, like, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm making someone in me. That's great. But then also the fear, like, just the fear of, oh, my God, I didn't get to enjoy that for very long. Yeah. Like, yeah. But then what do you think changed in the way that people dealt with you or you dealt with people when you lost a bunch of weight? Um, and again, because I was in comedy, um, so th- my Did direct- you become less funny? I think I became funnier. <laughs> um, but it's, it's very strange. Without mentioning names because they're all related to all of us, um, <laughs> there was a, – a, it was the – maybe second incarnation of, of a show that auditioned in Sydney and Melbourne, an improvised comedy show that was um, famous elsewhere and was finally coming to Australia and I could not get an audition. Um, and I know I've got things to learn about my craft, but I know I deserved an audition. Yeah. If you were seeing a there lot of a, people... There was a new satire show that went up and... I remember just being confused by the fact that I didn't know it was going to happen even, that I wasn't in those conversations because there are very few women who do satirical news comedy at all in Australia. Yeah. And I would be one of maybe five, ten names. So you think there would have been at least... A meeting, a conversation. Yeah, and so that that, that it's kind a reasonable of thing thought. is always that's that feels like entitlement, but sometimes it's not. No, in that case, that was a very like yeah. If it was any other skill set in any other career, it's not entitlement. Yeah, it's experience and knowledge and expert being in you know and uh, and what is it an expert subject matter expert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's how I felt about these auditions, and I was quietly told that there was only room for one big girl to audition and even to audition to audition um that's wild yeah yeah and so I didn't get an audition then and that was back in 2008 um and then I lost I think it was about 20 25 kilos Mm. um because I just needed to take it out of the equation because then I was just so hell-bent on wow like I really am especially and, and in a world of improv where you can be anything you want on stage you can be the, you know, femme fatale. You can be the um, a nun. You can be a dog. You can be uh, a captain of a pirate ship. You can be any of the things. Yeah. A Hollywood bombshell. You can be a giant a crone. squid. You can be yeah. a mouse. 
Um, I was quite taken aback by the fact that, oh, but there's still only room for one bigger girl. Yeah. Um, and so I had to take it out of the equation for myself. And um, I think I did not necessarily get funnier, but I think I got confident. I think it did take something out of the equation. Um, but, of course, they re-auditioned that show and I still couldn't get an audition <laughs> because I didn't have a stand-up comedy set, I was told. Yeah, because it's an impro show and I only had impro shows to come and see. But I knew at least it wasn't about what I look like anymore. <laughs> I mean, that, that is – that's wild. Yeah, yeah. I, I, find, I feel like I was a, um, a chubby teenager. Were you? Yeah. And, uh, well, I was, yeah, so I, I was very strong and I did rowing and then I got yeah. hit by a boat and broke my back and put on a lot of weight. Uh, but it was this fascinating thing of having been sort of an unattractive teenager. Uh, my brother had a lot of very attractive friends. Yeah. And in retrospect, I think a lot of the way they treated me was to do with the fact that he was my brother yeah. and they didn't want to, you know, yes, flirt with me or make any moves on yeah, me yeah. or anything like that. Uh, but when I got to university and was running and had gotten really fit... And which was when we met. Which was when we met and I, I was very fit and everyone at that age is beautiful. Uh, suddenly realising that I had my personality dialed up to an unattractive girl. This, like, which is an intensity of focus on the person you're talking to that says, I, pay attention to me, talk to me, I'm worth worth talking to. Yeah. Which from an unattractive girl comes across as normal and from somebody who is sort of suddenly, unexpectedly in that hot bracket... You're a hot bracket, yeah. ...came across as hitting on everyone. <laughs> it took me a while to adjust that dial of, like, oh, I'm not... No, I'm not, I'm not hitting on you. Yeah. They, I remember you had... And I hope... And I hope this is not too personal to bring up. I remember having a conversation with you about the triangle of smart, funny, beautiful. And it was, like, <laughs> people either saw you as being smart and funny... Yeah. ...or funny and beautiful or funny and smart or you know they like they're just do they're, or beautiful them. and beautiful and smart like it was just all three at the same time for some people seemed too complex a, a thing that you could be many things at the same time you didn't say that but that's what I took away from the conversation <laughs> was oh my gosh like public like p- people's perception of, of what well, they certainly in Australia at that time and Laura Davis has said this before a lot of particularly stand-up the first 10 seconds had to be telling the audience why they didn't want to bang you. Oh, so much. so depressing. Like, so many successful comedians. And there are obviously incredible exceptions, but so many women that you see be successful in, in comedy in Australia are playing grotesques. Yeah. Because of that. Whatever that is in the culture that says... Yeah, or I'm hopeless at life. I can't yeah. get my stuff together. Like, yeah. yeah. Laura says you have to tell them in the first 10 seconds... I mean, I don't know how true that is, but it's certainly looking at the number of successful women in Australia who are either, if they're younger, playing this, no, I'm just a bin monkey. (laughs) Or if they're older, being like, ah, I'm an old crone. Yeah. I toyed with writing because I did raw comedy back in the day and um, I did really well. I was really happy with what I did. But I... I couldn't live on that set. It wasn't strong enough material. It was, you know, um, why can't I get a boyfriend? Yeah, yeah. Totally that. We all um, do yeah, something yeah. like that. But the, um, like, coming back to wanting to write cabaret shows and things like that, I, I don't want to write about being a mother. I do not want to write about being a mother. So I, it's not... 
Why is that? Because I have I have sealed sections, things that topics that I won't yeah. touch. I just there's already enough people doing mum comedy, like, and and they're doing it well. So I, you know, that's not a criticism of that. But I just, it's not what I found necessarily funny. Yeah. Before I became a mother, so I don't. I still have other interests outside of it. So yeah. I think I think there's a part of me that rejects it entirely because I didn't find it necessarily my go-to comedy beforehand, mm. and I, yeah, I just um, you. It's just not. Is that partly that you have struggled with accepting the idea of your identity as a mother? Oh, completely. That completely. you don't want it to define you. Yeah. As a bus backing up. Yeah, it totally is. Downstage. No, it's a cherry picker. It's a man going up and down on a thing. Um, yeah, it's so almost <laughs> sweet chamber music. <laughs> High culture and construction, <laughs> hand in hand at last. Oh, Melbourne. <laughs> uh, yeah, so is that something you think might play into it? I think, yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. It's, uh, we had said uh, before we press record, um, so I had postnatal depression, but mine wasn't a bonding thing. It wasn't me not being able to bond with my son. It was me trying to reconcile with this past I used to have. Mm. Um, who am I now? Uh, so I think that trying to write from, trying to write about something I struggle with, um, which is my identity as a mum, um, I can't see the comedy in it myself because it's still probably too dark for me. Yeah. Um, but it's also... I, I want I want to escape in my comedy. I like to escape into... I, I like silly, funny. Um, I think that's why I still love impro so much. Um, I like, like funny is funny, and so I'll still always enjoy lots of different things. But for myself personally, what I like to address is just silly. See, I'm, I love I'm, silly, funny, but I find it hard to do on stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, find, I, I don't know what it is, but I can't. Unless I'm working with somebody else who has that yeah. and brings that out in me, I find it very hard. I mean, there's flash of, flashes of it in my shows, but, yeah, I don't, I don't have the confidence. I do at some point. At some point in the future, I'm going to put 100 banana skins on the stage and fall <laughs> over for an hour. Like, that's, that is a career goal of mine. After years of doing, like, these highfalutin fucking philosophy shows... Yeah, but you've got to use what you know. That's the thing. Like, because so, um, there's there's what we personally like to do versus what we personally like to watch and absorb. Yeah. So I like to watch and absorb something that's different from what I can possibly ever achieve. Yeah. So we need you. <laughs> we need you in the world. I, think, I can't I, get by for, on accents forever. So. I mean, this is one of the weird things that I think about 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 motherhood. I feel like feminism has missed a trick on valuing motherhood yeah or giving it an identity it's such an archetype that it feels like you lose your individual identity to the identity of motherhood yeah and you do and you have to to a point because up to up to a certain point this person cannot survive without you devoting your life to them that's not to say you give everything else away but there is an element of you know, and, and it comes at a cost if you don't. So yeah. people that have been able to then be able, like, I, I, it, it's just a struggle. I think there's somewhere down the line, maybe it was a, a Gen X thing. We were the first generation that were told you can have everything. Mm-hmm. So we were the baby boomers weren't necessarily told that. We were told that I'm a Gen Xer, um, but I, 
and, and this will probably betray everything about feminism, but I don't think you can. You can, you can't, like, you can try to have everything, but something, it comes at a cost. Yeah. So that's maybe the trick that feminism has lost is just giving people time to either grieve the something that they had before um, so that they can move on to this new thing and then find the power in strengthening that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we have plenty of different models of success for even narrow bands, like being a CEO. Yeah. There are different ways to be a good CEO that we know, we understand it. And it's essentially the same job. Yep. Obviously, there are different companies and so on and so forth. We don't have similar models for different ways to be a good mother yeah. that we admire. You kind of have this, it's sort of a diffuse idea of motherhood. It's sort of hazy mist of general yeah. benevolence, which completely underrates the amount of deliberate work it involves, the... Uh, approach you take the uh, and uh, you know the, the 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 balance that you have with a different child is no less complicated than with a different company yeah and the like you were saying with the things the movement like that mum movement that's mm. happened is i mean we people talk about it all the time so this isn't news but that mum movement is very destructive it's competitive um, and we all know that, but even the rel- even the competitiveness of supporting people's way of is you know is still destructive. There's this. It's I don't yeah, know so what performative. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't have my head around what it is, and obviously I don't have children, but I feel like there's something there's some bad maths going on where people sort of very dismissively go, motherhood is priceless which means it never figures into any equation, which means it's as good as worthless. Yeah. Like happiness is priceless, but when you put, when you put it against $100, you'll take the $100 yeah. every time. Yeah. Again and again and again and again and again. So just because we don't have a good... But like really, it's just a long-term investment, motherhood. Yeah. The and time you put in comes out in functionality in your child in 20 years. Yeah, and that's a long time to wait for a return. So in the meantime, what do you do? Yeah. Um, and it's weird because I've got such a great mix of... Like, I, I, I was like, I'm going to do a podcast and I'm going to call it The Mediocre Mother and I'm just going to talk about how... <laughs> but again, that's I can't, I can't invest in it because that's not necessarily going to make me feel good, yeah. which I've been told is detrimental then to my child's health. So if I'm not doing things for me to make myself be the woman I need to be, then mm. my son is not going to see a, the, 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 the number one female role model in his life. You know, it's just this... It's very difficult. It is incredibly, it's incredibly difficult. I had this idea. Um, occasionally I like to do what I call uh, untenable solutions to insoluble problems, which is solutions that would never work, but they would work in a perfect world, which is tax breaks for every milestone your kid passes. <laughs> well, that'd be the new Darwinism. Yeah. Because how some people... Like you don't get punished for having a crap kid. No, but you don't get rewarded either. But, you know, this is one of the things you know is that women who have children end up with less superannuation. They totally. end up further back in their careers. They take a, they take a cut in their work either by choice or by social yeah. pressures. So whether it's just that they choose more flexible jobs which tend to be less high pressure and therefore less high achieving yeah. or whether they are actually secretly punished and probably a bit of both. Why can't it be both? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was my idea. Tax breaks for if your kid isn't an idiot. That's a great tax break. Like more cherry picker in the background. Yeah. Sorry. No, I think that's think of it as electronic applause for a great idea. <laughs> 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 Woo-hoo! 
there's that brilliant improv mind working away. I um, I've got so many uh, like because I have that terrible part-time job that I work, which is in order to supplement my um, career as an improviser. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, return to work. Most of the most of the lower um, rung jobs, the admin jobs that are, you know. The ad hoc dogs' bodies are all just return to work mums, and they're not. You know, it's it's not that these aren't smart women who could have done anything, but their time away to having kids takes a hit on what you f- your confidence and what you feel you can achieve. And then also your priorities have shifted. You need to be more flexible because yeah. there's a person's life on the line. Yeah, that's right. Um, in I mean, my kid is cute. Sense. My kid is cute. So, I mean, you know, swings and roundabouts. Swings and roundabouts. <laughs> I just, I, I think it's an interesting thing that we haven't solved yet because yeah. our model for success was shaped by masculine success. And that came from the fact that, like, that was just a technological thing. Men got to the top because they were good at doing the things that needed physical strength. Yeah, and women were dying in childbirth, so we well, were expendable in a way. Like, Well, also just doing, like, if you've ever tried to wash your clothes by hand... Only once. <laughs> but, like, a whole load of washing, oh let alone God. a whole load of washing for a whole family, the amount of work that takes, which is not to do with, like, making the clothes or making the cloth to make the clothes or making the thread to make the cloth... Or making the fire to make the food. Or Walking to the well to get the water. Yeah, all of that stuff took so much time and effort and was so necessary. It was the ground floor on which civilization was built. Yeah. It, it was the thing that gave men time to... I never even thought of that before, Alice. <laughs> but, then, then, but that means that then that idea of what is success is shaped by these strengths that men yeah. tend to have, obviously gender as a spectrum and all of that but men tend disproportionately towards these kind of strengths yeah and so we thought okay we want to be successful we now have the time we now have washing machines and factories so we don't have to do all that so let's be successful that's what success looks like yeah while underrating the value of other things that are valuable i was just thinking about how important back in the day washing was because that could have been the difference between your entire family being killed. Yeah. By life and death. Yeah. <laughs> like just no just making sure your food was can, you know jarred yeah. properly, stored properly, preserved properly, didn't have mold on it. There's there's a like I this is probably going to be super controversial thing to say. Say it. Say it. <laughs> you meet a particular kind of woman in the world who is immensely competent who just does spreadsheets yeah. and loves it. Yeah. And you think that is a woman who would have run a castle. Oh, totally. Like that's a, it's a biologically suited to keep a whole group of people... Yeah, organised, organized, alive. Yeah. Just rotating the sheets so they were aired properly so they didn't get mouldy, that yeah. kind of mind. So they wouldn't offend the neighbouring kingdom, yeah, which yeah. would have started a war. Everything like that yeah. is... That's an astonishingly complex... And they're the women that I'm around at work all the time. Yeah. These women who are... I mean, I, I, I always think anyone can do my job because it's very um, just task-driven admin stuff. But there are women who are like the 
executive um, assistants and they are checking diaries and juggling, thing, you know, managing rooms and egos and um, all this stuff and, 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 and organising catering and all of these things to make one person look good. Um, and that person then makes us all look good, apparently, if, if you know, the division does well. Yeah. Um, but it's always just, you know, one woman who's really great. And, and they also are usually the people that know everyone's names, are caring and nurturing and much more patient than I would ever be, you know. Yeah, that sliding scale calculus, that, that like, just I, – I, I don't know why people think women aren't good at maths. I love maths. Just, it's yeah. – I have a, a joke in my show at the moment about about the maths that you do when someone lunges out at you at a train station and wants to have a friendly chat. And you can look to the exit. You, I just imagine it's one of those like matrix things where yeah. all the graphics and numbers come up in front of your, your eyes. Number yeah. of teeth, density of smell, intensity of eye contact, all of that stuff. And sometimes all that adds up to I've got to get an emergency taxi. Yeah. But that happens in a split second. Yeah, time to train. Yeah, exactly. You, do, you scan, you look around, see how other, other people are around and, yeah. It's an amazing – that's a very quick calculation. Isn't it funny when people think of so – because of the impro world I live in and the, and the corporate work that I do, um, training people, it's all – they call them soft skills now, <laughs> um, which is such a – Again, just addressing down of really important things, which were just the basic fundamentals of listening and communicating and noticing someone's body language and hearing properly what they're saying, listening to the end of the sentence instead of having your own agenda. And waiting for them to finish so you can say your thing. Soft skills. Soft skills. But that's, I mean, the, that, that can be, in a very real sense, the difference between getting stabbed and not. Yeah. Like... Looking at that person's body language, like you said, how many teeth they have. <laughs> yeah, what you mean is difficult to nail down in numbers skills. Yeah. But, it, you know, in a business environment, the difference between getting a contract or not, uh, realising that one of your clients is on the way out or is offended by you or upset by you, or all of those very subtle things yeah. that have actual value, but we just don't know what exactly that value is, so we yeah. call it a soft skill. Soft skills, yeah. But, yeah, I, I, I find that, like, I listen to a podcast called The Dollop. Oh, yeah. Which is by Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds. Very funny, but it's an American history podcast. And they talk about various maniacs in American history who did wild things. You know, situations where everything went wrong or someone who, you know, takes a tank and goes and shoots up a city. Like, just this kind of thing. And it is astonishing how often the commonality between these people is that they didn't have a mother or their mother left. Right. No soft skills. No soft skills. But that's the thing. Really, it is. Like, this is the... Di yeah. How do we not value something that if you don't have it ends up with 20 people dead on a city street? Yeah. That's a direct line between this woman who either died or was not able to be a good mother. Yeah. Well... Yeah, I think not even just obscure things. That's that's echoed throughout history, even and even today. Like, I mean, sometimes though it translates to this other weird dark thing, and this must be that duplicity of people. Like, which way you're going to turn? And they either like so either mass murderers or, or something like that, high or achievers. high achievers and artists who can you know John Lennon kind of constantly searching for the something, mm. but it's the thing that's missing. Yeah, so. 
Yeah, it's a it's a, a really interesting interesting thing. I, I well, maybe I will start writing mum comedy. You should, <laughs> but make it your own. I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you what to do. There are things that I absolutely refuse to even touch in my comedy. Yeah, uh, and other things that other people don't touch that I do. But it's those things that make us interesting, though. Surely, yeah. Artistic constraint is always. Yeah super good that you have to do this kind of thing or that kind of thing or within two hours or not using the word blue or yeah I mean I guess that's one of the fun things about improv is that it's all about that yeah and although that that kind of um lack of preparation even though you know and I know you know this like there's so much preparation because there's so much rehearsal and jamming and um practicing the skills in order to then do it um it still comes down to adrenaline, everything on the night, all the other people that you're working with um, and so often the base things that come out from people which maybe as a real person they would never say or, um, you know, the sexist, the racist, the, you know, highly inappropriate stuff that comes out. And it's funny, in real life I'm quite... I'm not dirty but in real life I can be quite, like, I swear a heap and I'm, I'm really quite rude and, um, but I don't do that on stage. It's one of the things I'm most proud of is going, right, I'm, that's not... That's, That's my lines. Because is it's too easy to do if you're going to your, like, immediate instinct. Uh, possibly I also think, and this is, again, I think this is the fat girl talking, yeah. is I, I had a perception early on that no one could believe that I would maybe know anything about sex or be sexy or anything like that. Ah. So for me to make a bit of a blue joke would be... Um, too confusing? Yeah, like they go, she knows, she knows nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, that's, I think that's a hangover. But as a result, I've never gone there. So or I rarely have gone there. It's got to be good to go there. But um, so, yeah, I just don't do that on stage. But, you know, I'm the worst in real life. Well, I mean, I guess that would make you particularly good at the corporate work that you do. <laughs> yeah. And I have a working with children check, so <laughs> it's all above board. <laughs> where, where can people find you online? Um, I am Amanda Buckley seventy five on Twitter, Instagram, and um, also on Facebook. I think these days. Um, and I, I, I've got a. Am I allowed to plug a show? Yeah. Coming up in once the comedy festival's finished, I have a, an improvised um, song contest show <gasps> called Eurovision. Um, and that's coming to Melbourne at the Improv Conspiracy Theatre for four Fridays in May. So people have to improvise songs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Audience pick the title. The audience suggest titles, and we blind draw them and use them as our. See, I will regularly write a song on the bus on the way to a gig and find out what the tune is on stage. But that's fantastic. I don't think I could actually improv. I don't have the the. Musical skills. Oh, so you're doing both of it at once. You're doing this, the lyrics and the music. Mm. I'm just doing the lyrics and I have a musician who's ah. amazing provide the music. So I don't have to do both things. So you're using two brains, like two, all the sides of the brains. All of them. All, both all of, them. of the sides of the brains. <laughs> they're, more, they're definitely more than two. Oh. Oh, thank you so much for having tea with me. Thank you for being patient and having tea with me.
This top is mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doffers at every frame. Loudy rifle, doll, loudy rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you, doffers, cry up your ends. Loudy rifle, doll, loudy rifle day. And when the boss he looks round the door, tie our ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lally rifle, doll, lally rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lally rifle, doll, lally rifle, day.